Kevin, it's unbelievable, man, what the Lord has done in your life and through your life. For those here who may not have heard your story of how Jesus has changed you, can you walk us back as to what your life was like before you knew Christ? Well, it started when I ignored him and started chasing after the things of this world. And, and um, God allowed me to experience the results of my choices. And I wasn't choosing him. I wasn't praying and asking him for guidance. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you then, you know, he's a loving God. He doesn't make you love him, but, you know, he allows you to experience what it is mm-hmm. when you don't choose to follow him. And, and it took me down a, a, a dark path of, uh, of drinking and, and drugs and um, ended up being um, a, an alcoholic and uh, got a, a word from the doctor one day that, that um, you know, I had a short time to live if I didn't, you know, change. And, um, you know, I was functioning well, but uh, my insides were, were torn apart. I was empty, you know. Hmm. Uh, I think a lot of the drugs and alcohol were trying to fill a void that only Jesus could fill. And, yeah. and every time I would uh, approach it that way, I would wake up feeling even more empty and more convicted and 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 then satan poured on the guilt as well and so uh just just desperate um especially when i was told of my medical condition and i knew i did this to myself i couldn't blame anybody i I had great parents you know they were great examples they prayed for me even though they didn't approve of what i did they they supported me with love unconditionally even though they didn't, you know, this wasn't what they would have me to do, the things I was doing, but, uh, or the life I was living. But, uh, you know, if you got a child out there that's rebelling or running, just continue to love them just like Christ loves you. Yeah. And uh, they see that love and they know that there's somewhere they can come to that brings them hope. And, and you know, once they get over or maybe once they hit bottom, you know, they, they can look up and they know there's something there. They just, they just have refused. They've ignored this unconditional love for so long. Hmm. Um, and, but for me, there were people that, that prayed for me, uh, without ceasing. Um, it, it just went on and on. I could tell a thousand stories of people coming up to me after God had changed my heart talking about, you know, they prayed and, and they were they experienced and 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 saw people they witnessed people praying for me hmm. and it's just amazing what god did and i'm grateful you know me too me too it's amazing kevin um i mean the story of what your life was like before christ tell us about that moment when you trusted in christ i'll try <laughs> uh, you know it was in montevallo alabama by the fire department right there um i I was on my way to, to play somewhere, and um, a friend, I was talking to him on the phone, and he told me he was praying for me, and I knew I was all messed up, and, and, and I said, you're praying for me? He said, yeah, I, I know what's going on in your life, and I want you to know something. God's got a plan for you, and this isn't it, and I was like, wow, so I, I began to tear up, and I, I pulled off the road, and I just cried, and, and finally, I just, you know, he prayed for me over the phone and 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 I, I began to pray and ask God I said I don't blame you if you don't listen to me because I've ignored you for so long but I need help and uh I know you don't make deals 
Hmm. You know, I could say, hey, I'll do this if you'll do that. Well, I never keep my end of the deal, and you won't either. Uh, but um, I just said, will you forgive me? Hmm. I, I'm sorry. I have sinned against you. I've, I've sinned against my parents. And uh, I don't know what it's going to look like, Lord, but I, I'm surrendering my life to you. And, and just sitting there on the side of the road, um, and when I cried out and I asked him to forgive me, I felt a peace that came over me. Like it, it was like everything's going to be all right. It, it didn't really make sense. It, it surpassed all understanding. Mm-hmm. And to, to back up a minute, my parents used to make me memorize Bible verses to leave the house because I was so bad. And, <laughs> and so one of the verses was... You had a lot of Bible the, memories built up, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean... Yeah. You know, I got to crack through some walls to get to them, but they're there. <laughs> and uh, one of the verses was about the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And I felt that peace come over me. And I was like, now, how is this possible? And then, and then I felt brand new. I felt mm-hmm. the weight of the guilt and the shame. And I had plenty of it just lifted off my shoulders. And I... I just thought in the midst of what I've been told and all that I've done and everything, how can this be? How can I feel this newness? And I remember that verse. He is in, who is in Christ is a new creation, a new creature. And I, all these verses were coming to life in my heart right then. And I just felt this presence. And, and, you know, then his still small voice, like a thought when I said, God, you're here. Hmm. It's like I thought, he says, I've always been here. I said, you've forgiven me. He said, my son died for you. That's right. I said, you're real. You're real. I thought, well, God is real, and he's in my car in Montevallo, Alabama, (laughs) across from the volunteer fire department in front of a junior food store by a dumpster. He is right here. And I remember thinking, God, if you can meet me here, I want to go wherever you want me to go hmm. and do whatever you want me to do. And uh, a couple of days later, I walked down the aisle at First Baptist Church in Selma on Easter Sunday morning. That was Good Friday when he got a hold of me. Hmm. That was a Good Friday. It was. And I just, I, I just publicly made my profession and said, I'm giving my heart to Jesus, coming home. Hmm. And that church I grew up in, they were all, they've been praying for me for 20 years. I mean, they came up, we've been praying for you for 20 years. <laughs> I'm like, well, thank you. Keep praying, you know. But um, it, it's, I, I got a hope now. When tragedy strikes, when, when, when I don't get things right, I realize that it's not my righteousness. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't that day. It was the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not my hope. My hope in anything of this world, it, it can be just empty. It can, uh, you can't find it. It doesn't feel or it, it doesn't manifest itself in, in a way that the love of Christ and the truth of Christ does in my heart. Yeah. And I trust in that. I, I trust in it every Sunday when I drive here to church, you know, I say, God, I can't do this, but you can. That's right. And so, you know, that's how I'm able to get up here. Mm. And it's not my righteousness that allows me to sit here. It's his righteousness and, and the calling he has on me. Uh, I feel like the least of these up here. Mm. But, you know, I just trust him. Amen. You know, but uh, there's a peace now. There's, 
I'm not saying every day is perfect. I'm not saying I don't, in my flesh, worry Mm -hmm. or freak out or, you know, make mistakes. But I I know in my heart and in my soul that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I count on him. I trust in him. Amen. Amen. Faith family, this is the power of the gospel. Jesus changes lives. And I'm thankful, Kevin, not only for the people who God put in your life who were praying for you, but were preaching to you, speaking into your life and pointing you to him. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for the salvation you have experienced in Jesus Christ. And it's available. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, uh, all of us are testimonies of grace, of God's kindness, and that you too can have your life changed by Jesus. If you're engaging with us online and you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will receive you. As messed up as your life is, as terrible as your past is, man, God can forgive you. And this is what Christ came to do is to purchase your sin through his bloodstained cross. And Kevin, I praise God for what he's done in your heart and in your life. Glory to God. Amen. Hey, family, can we celebrate Jesus and what he's done in Kevin's life? Love you, bro. Love you, bro. It's pretty incredible to me, the people whom God put in Kevin's life to lead him to faith in Christ. There were people who were intentionally sharing the gospel with him, calling him up on the phone, saying, hey, Kevin, man, I'm praying for you. What you're doing, you're not walking according to the plan of God for your life. You see, it is people whom God uses to lead other people to Christ. That is what we see happening in Acts chapter 9. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 9. We're going through the book of Acts together as a faith family, this great historical narrative of the early church. And we're doing a three-part mini-series walking through the life change of the Apostle Paul, who in Acts chapter 9, his name is Saul. As you're turning there, uh, I do want to clarify something that I said last week. Uh, Last week, I made the statement that Acts chapter 9 is the single greatest moment in the history of the church, and that is not accurate. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single greatest moment in the history of the church, okay? Your Bible is perfect. Your pastor is not This is why it's essential that you examine every preacher you listen to through the filter of Scripture, okay? So let me get it right this time. Apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Acts chapter 9 is one of the greatest moments in the history of the church. It's amazing that through this one man's life and ministry, the Apostle Paul is a man who through his preaching, through his disciple making, through his church planting, through his letter writing as found in scripture, has led millions of people to faith in Christ. What we saw last week is he, this, as this man, as Saul, had this rage against the church And then we saw where the power of Jesus was on display to humble the proud. That God humbled this man. This man was brought low. We challenged our church that we are to be a people who are praying for our enemies. We pray that Jesus would meet them, humble them, and save them through the gospel. We saw where Saul was on a journey to arrest Christians. And then Jesus blinded him, humbled him, and brought him to his knees. 
We then see where God taps the shoulder of a man named Ananias, a man whom God uses to bring this Saul to faith in Christ. And that is where we pick up in Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 10. And the scripture says this. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. God's design for getting the gospel to the nations is through his people. Indeed, the church is the vehicle through which the gospel spreads to the ends of the earth. In Acts 9, God uses Ananias as a minister of the gospel in Saul's life. Through Ananias, Saul is healed of his physical and spiritual blindness. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He is baptized and he is discipled. The question is, how can God use us today just as he used Ananias in Acts 9? What I want to do this morning is to show you these three keys on how we can see God use our lives to impact our world for Jesus. The first key I want you to see is this, is we must be open to the Lord's word. Be open to the Lord's word. Now, according to Acts twenty-two twelve, this guy Ananias is a leader in Damascus, in the church. Now, this is not obviously the same Ananias we see back in Acts chapter 5, who's married to Sapphira, where the two of them lie to the Holy Spirit, they lie to the church, and they drop dead. This is a different Ananias. But as a leader in the church, that makes him one of Saul's targets, and little did he know what God had in store for him that fateful day in verse 10. But what made him effective was the fact that he was open. He was available to the Lord's use. When Jesus called him, he was ready. Ananias, the Lord said to him in a vision. And what does he say, verse 10? Here I am, Lord. It reminds me of Genesis 22, when the Lord calls Abraham and he responds, here I am, Lord. It reminds me of Exodus 3, when God appears through a burning bush to Moses and Moses says, here I am. It reminds me of 1 Samuel 3, where four times the Lord calls Samuel and Samuel says, here I am, Lord. And we see it here in Acts 9, where the Lord appears to Ananias and calls upon him and he says, here I am, this is a pattern of people who are available. They are open to the Lord's word. You want to be used by God. 
in this brief, temporary life that you and I have that is fleeting. It's like a vapor, here today and gone tomorrow. For this brief moment in history, if we want God to use our lives, we have to be open to the Lord's word. Question, are you open? Are you available to the Lord? Are your ears bent towards the Lord calling you to himself? And if he calls you, are you willing to say, here I am, Lord? Here I am, I'm yours. But you know what's important, we've got to remember this, is that Abraham said, here I am, before the Lord called him to sacrifice his one and only son. We see that Moses said, here I am, Lord, before God called him to go to Pharaoh and to speak to him. We see that Samuel said, here I am, Lord, before he had to take a message of judgment to his mentor, Eli. And we see in Acts 9 that Ananias said, here I am, Lord, before he found out he's about to go to the arch enemy of the church. You see, when you say yes to the Lord, it is usually God's preparation of him calling you to do something bigger than yourself. That God will often call you to do something that is far greater than you are able to do on your own. You know that phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle? It's not in Scripture. God will often give you more than you can handle. God will overwhelm you with difficulty and trial. And he does that not because he hates you, but because he loves you. And he will overwhelm you with more and more so that you cling tighter to him. So that you're dependent. When you say, God, if you don't come through, all of this falls apart. You see, it's in that moment that you're depending upon the Lord. He begins shaping your character. He begins conforming you, Romans 8, 29, into the image of his son. That it's in that moment that God is changing you and he's making you more like Christ. God loves to give us a lot upon us, hardship, difficulty, so that he can show himself faithful. So that he can show himself strong and he alone will get the glory. There may be times in which you walk in obedience and the difficulty that you face just seems overwhelming and you struggle. And maybe you're just like, why, Lord? Why does my marriage have to be so hard? Why do I have to have a child or a grandchild who just walks in continuous disobedience? Why are things at work just constantly difficult? Lord, why does it seem like I'm suffering and other people aren't. It's when you go through those times, through those hardships, that God is inviting you to lean upon him. He's showing you that you need him, that apart from him, everything falls apart. God loves to take moments in which we just can't to show that he can. That is what God does. And when you say yes to being a disciple of Jesus, it is not a promise of ease and comfort in this life. It's a call to hardship, It's a call to suffering. It's a call to die. Jesus said it like this in John 16. He says, I've told you these things so that in me, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus says, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be in you. I am for you. I am going to strengthen you. And I promise you that your suffering that you're having to endure right now is not permanent. 
In fact, this same Saul will one day write, these light and momentary afflictions are not worth comparing to the glory that's about to be revealed to us. You see, Ananias said yes, and he was open. Now, he was unsure of what was next. Little did he know, however, that through his obedience... God would mobilize this Saul to become one of the greatest missionaries in the history of the church. You see, when you say yes to being obedient to the Lord and serving him, God will often blind you from the fruit of your labor. I was sharing this with our staff this week, is that oftentimes we don't get to see in this brief temporary life the full impact of our lives that we get to have for the sake of the kingdom. God does that to protect us from pride. That if you got to see all of the lives that you're impacting for Jesus, you'd get really prideful. I know my heart, I'd begin to think, man, look how awesome I am. And the Lord loves you and I enough to protect us from ourselves. He wants to protect us from pride. He wants to protect us from self-sufficiency. And so he will often bring difficulty, suffering, and trial to bring us to the point in which we say, God, I, I got nothing in me. You're my everything. And he loves to show himself faithful. So beloved, you have an opportunity today in which I want to invite you to say yes to the Lord Jesus. Here I am, Lord. A key to being used by God is being open to the Lord's word. The second thing we see in the text is we must be obedient to the Lord's will. Obedient to the Lord's will. The Lord tells Ananias of his sovereign plan and purpose, verse 12. Get up and go. For he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias coming to lay his hands on him to regain his sight. How about that? It's amazing. God had already paved the way for Ananias. But Ananias, he hesitates. Verse 13. He wants to make sure he's hearing the Lord correctly. Lord, you're, you're telling me to go to a man who wants to kill me. Lord, you're telling me to go to a man who wants to destroy my family and destroy your church. You want me to go to a man who is trying to kill, arrest, persecute your church. Just want to make sure I'm clear on this one, okay? He's seeking clarification. It's kind of like when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and says, you're going to be the mother of the Son of God. And she says, how can this be? For I've never been with a man. You see, oftentimes God calls us to do things that are outside of our comfort zones. God is going to call you to do something which you're like, I would never do this on my own. What in the world is this? God, you're calling me to do, to do this? You're calling me to do something that quite frankly, it doesn't make sense? Remember what Moses said? When the Lord called him to go speak to Pharaoh, he's like, Lord, I have a stuttering problem. Who am I? I can't go and speak to him. Remember what the Lord said? Who made your mouth? I will give you the words. I will tell you what to say. Here's Ananias. Like, Lord, are you sure you're the one, you, I'm the one you mean to do this? You see, God loves to display his power by putting us in situations where he alone gets the glory. Put yourself in Ananias' shoes. Jesus is calling him to go to one of the most dangerous men in Israel. 
a man who has the rage to kill you, a man who's notorious. Ananias has heard all the way in Damascus about what this guy Saul is doing in Jerusalem. This guy's notorious. He's on the most wanted list. This is a guy where people are gossiping about how dangerous he is. And here he is. He has the authority from the high priest, verse 1. He has the desire and he has the opportunity because now he is in town. It would, it would kind of be like God calling you to go into the heart of a terrorist organization. There's no weapon on your hip. There's no 911 call you can make. There's no SWAT team waiting at the door. There's no military backup. It's just you and the call of God upon your life. That's Ananias. He is eager to obey the will of the Lord. This is what God does. He calls us to do things in which they just don't seem to make sense in the worldly way. You see, heavenly obedience does not always make earthly sense. Obey Jesus anyway. We obey. We are those who say, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to make sure I'm walking in accordance to his commands. What's interesting to me, though, when this is a, a, a text of great comfort, is that God already had a plan. Go back to verse 6. Saul, Jesus told him, go into the city and you will be told what to do next. Okay, God says, I've got a plan, Saul. What's the plan? It's verse 12. It's God telling Saul that Ananias was coming to heal him. You see, Ananias was doing what God had already preordained for him to do. Okay, all right, no, stay with me, y'all. Stay with me. Ananias was doing what God had already preordained for him to do. We already see it there in the text. For this, Apostle Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Say with me. So you and I, we have work to do as followers of Jesus. All right? We got work to do. Not to be saved, but because we already are saved. All right? We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You are not saved by your good works. You're saved by the good works of Jesus for you at the cross. Okay? This is not for your salvation. That was secured by Christ. But as someone who's been purchased by the blood of Christ, as someone who has believed the gospel, now you and I are eager to go out and work out our salvation. But the works that we do, God has already prepared for us. He's already gone in advance for all of the good works that he is calling us to do. Beloved, this should lead us to worship, to be amazed by the God who knows everything about us, the God who knows your future, the God who knows what you're going to do before you do it, the God who knows your words before you say them, that according to Psalm 139, he knows your thoughts from afar. He knows you're lying down and you're getting up. He knows you're coming and you're going. He is a God who knows everything about you before you even say, do, or think them. This is who he is, and it leads us to worship, to be amazed by the God who knows what we don't know. And he's working in ways that we can't see through our 
broken eyes, our inabilities to see what he is up to behind the scenes. So what do we do? If we don't know why he's doing or even sometimes how he's doing it, well, we're simply called to trust and obey. In 1887, there was a businessman turned preacher. His name was John Samus, and he wrote this great hymn, Trust and Obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. The task that God calls you to is to trust and obey. Let him worry about how he works. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. We're not trying to figure him out like a Rubik's Cube. We are people who trust our father knowing that he is good and he is up to good even in the difficulty and the questions and the struggles and the doubts that we wrestle through in this life. I also don't want you to miss here in the text what obedience will look like for this guy named Saul. Here's a guy who is, verse 15, God's chosen instrument. And he's going to take the gospel to Jews, Gentiles, kings, governors, and one day before Caesar himself. And part of him being used by God, it's going to entail great suffering for the sake of Christ. All right, stare at verses 15 and 16. That's a good summary of the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, is it not? Jesus is making two things clear to Ananias. God is going to use Saul, and Saul is going to suffer. There's no whiff of prosperity gospel in verse 16. Jesus is shooting it straight with Ananias. This guy, Saul, he's going to suffer for my name. He's going to face hardship and difficulty and strife that is going to be downright overwhelming. In church, oftentimes, the people whom God uses the most are those who suffer the most. Don't miss that. The people whom God uses the most are those who suffer the most. It's because those who have been humbled by affliction They radiate the presence and the power of Jesus upon their life. You see, some Christ followers are like, God, I want you to use my life, but they don't want the suffering. They avoid it at all costs. And yet God has ordained for suffering for the believer to be not only a tool of sanctification, but God's way of saying, now I'm going to show my power through your weakness. A couple of years ago, I was going through a really hard trial, and I was really struggling uh, with just a situation I was facing, and I was talking with a, a church member here at Westwood about it, and he connected me with another pastor in Texas who had just walked through a very similar trial that I was walking through, and I called this guy, and we had a great conversation, and he made this comment to me. He said, Kenneth, there is anointing in the crushing. And I said, hey, man, I need you to unpack that some more. Come on, what you got? He said, the word Gethsemane, it means a place of crushing. And he said, Garden of Gethsemane was a place where olives would be put in a place where they would be crushed. And out would come these drops of oil where they would make olive oil. And right now, you're like an olive that is being crushed 
but it's producing an oil for anointing. And you and I, we know this is true in light of Scripture where Jesus, the anointed king, goes into the Garden of Gethsemane where he would be crushed under the weight of the cross that was before him. And he would not have drops of oil come out, but drops of blood he would sweat out as he was crushed under the weight of suffering that was coming his way. And for some of you in this room, you're going through suffering. You're facing hardship and pain, and you're just like, oh, God, would you please take this away? And he loves you so much and says, no. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And it is through the crushing that you are experiencing the presence of God. And his power is in you and it's through you. As you go through the crushing, there is anointing. You see, we know that ultimately Jesus, the anointed king of Israel, he was crushed for you. That the weight of your sin was placed squarely upon his shoulders at the cross. That he endured great suffering for you. He was crushed for your iniquity. You see, the death of Jesus was ugly, awful, and terrible because your sin and my sin is ugly and awful and terrible and deserves death. And so Jesus says, instead of you taking the wrath for your sin, I'm going to take it for you. I love you so much. I don't want you to have to go through that. So I'm going to take it for you. And when he prays, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because it's in that moment the full wrath of God is placed upon Jesus. So now, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He came to set you free, that through his death, through his substitutionary atonement, he took your place, died in your place. His blood was shed for your forgiveness. He was crushed so that in him you can be free, experience salvation, receive adoption as sons, and you're called his both now and forever. This is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that we suffer for him because he first suffered for us. And so we do it gladly because he gladly took it for us. And so we're going to walk the Calvary road. We're going to follow Jesus up that mountain because we are now hidden in him. And my life is his both now and forever. What did Jesus mean in verse 16? What did he mean that Saul would suffer? Well, Paul tells us just a little bit of his resume of suffering in 2 Corinthians 11. He says this, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, 
Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst, often without food. In cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. If you want God to use your life, you have to obey his will for your life. And that includes difficulty and suffering. It means you're going to have to endure hardship, persecution, people mocking you, belittling you, despising you for your claims of being scripture and standing firm in Jesus. You're going to face physical hardship You're going to have pain. But Jesus says, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I will be in you. I will be for you. And this suffering that you are experiencing, it's not permanent. In fact, it's light and it's momentary in light of the glory that's about to be revealed to us. Oh, hope in God. Hope in him. Trust in him with all of your heart. You can bank your soul and your life upon the king of kings who made you, knows you, and loves you. The one who is fully aware of all of your sin, but gladly took it upon his son. The one who went into the grave so that you don't have to remain there. For on the third day, Jesus got up out that grave. And so too will you through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your hope. Trust in him. Hope in him. For he is your savior. He knows you by name. And you belong to him both now and forever. Westwood, let's suffer well. That with joy, James 1, 2. We count it all joy as you face trials of many kinds. We have to be willing to obey the will of the Lord. See it here in the text. Be open to the Lord's word. Obedient to the Lord's will. Thirdly, be overjoyed by the Lord's work. Ananias places his hands on Saul. Saul is healed of physical blindness. He receives the Holy Spirit by faith in Christ. Verse 17, he gets baptized. Oh, my goodness. And they have some dinner. Okay. What a day. Day of rejoicing, right? This is amazing. The destroyer is now a disciple. I love verse 17, y'all. Look at this. Look what Ananias says. His his first words to Saul, verse 17, brother Saul, yes, brother, you're my brother, you're family, you're no longer the destroyer, you're a disciple, you're with me, we're family. You see, the gospel takes us from God's foe to God's family. He's no longer an enemy, he's a brother. Saul is a brother in Christ. And Ananias is there, open to the Lord's call, obedient to the Lord's will, and now overjoyed by the Lord's work. God has done the impossible. God has used Ananias to lead someone to Jesus that no one thought would ever become a believer. And the good news is, you and I, 
can be like an Ananias to someone else. We can be ambassadors for Christ where we take someone by the hand and we introduce them to Jesus. In fact, this is the challenge I'm bringing before our church today. It's your impact point, and it's this. Identify one person this week to share the gospel with. Identify that one person whom you can share the gospel with. Now, ultimately, the Lord is the one who saves, not you. So the pressure is off there. And the person may reject you, but ultimately, it's not you they're rejecting. It's Christ in you, okay? So the pressure is off there. And if they're just not even interested, you planted a seed. You see, it's always a blessing when you share the gospel. God is the one who saves. God is the one who changes the heart. And aren't you grateful that someone shared the gospel with you? As I survey the landscape of this room, I'm thinking upon the thousands upon thousands of people who have been instrumental in each one of us coming to faith in Christ. Someone was praying for you. Someone was sharing the gospel with you. Someone was planting seeds in your heart. So whether you trusted in Christ at a young age or at an old age, there was a point in which your heart was transformed by the Lord, not by people. But God used the people in your life to lead them to faith in Christ. So now, you and I get to go do the same. We get to go and take this incredible gospel about Jesus, whom the world hates, whom the world wants nothing to do with, The world scoffs at him, and so let them. For us, we share Jesus. We are an aroma of Christ to a dying world pointing to him. And so now we get to do what others have done for us. We share the gospel, and we point people to Jesus. Has your life been changed by the gospel? If your life has not been changed by Jesus, I want to invite you today to humble yourself and give your life to Christ, to call upon his name and he will rescue you and save you. If you're in this room and your life has been changed by Jesus, we have a story to tell. We get to be like an Ananias or like a Ralph Derryberry. And we get to point people to Jesus. Jesus.